a toast to the proud Lannister children, the cripple, the dwarf, and the mother of madness. Have you ever known your father to make an idle threat? I know where we have to go. There's only one hell, the one we live in now. We have a new queen. I said, Neil! Welcome to the Sound On Sight Game of Thrones podcast. This week we discuss episode two of season four, The Lion and the Rose, written by George R. R. Martin and directed by Alex Grace. We'll be right back after this. We're back with the Sound on Sight Game of Thrones podcast this week talking about an eventful wedding episode. They, all the weddings in Game of Thrones are eventful for the most part. Uh, this week joining us, one of the contributors to the comics and the TV sections over at Sound on Sight is Logan Dalton. Logan, welcome to the podcast. Hi, guys. Of course, I am Kate Kolzik, TV editor of Sound on Sight, and I'm joined by my wonderful co-host, editor-in-chief, uh, Ricky D. Uh, and of course, as we always say at the top of the podcast, I have read the books. Ricky has not read the books. Logan, what's your relationship with the books? Uh, I read all the books last year, all five books. So that you marathoned them? Yeah, well, I, I read the first three books, and then read the, watched the show, then read four and five. Interesting. Well, did it affect the way that you viewed the show? Do you think... A little bit, but I just I just kind of wanted to get go back to that universe more, so I just watched the show after reading the books. Fair enough, so. fair enough. Well, I will also preface, of course, we're going to keep this just relegated to the TV series. We will talk about this episode. We'll talk about stuff that came before in the TV show. We will talk about the events of this episode, uh, how they, the book and the, the TV show compare, but there will be no book spoilers. Fear not. There will be no spoilers for future episodes of this season of Game of Thrones. We're going to keep it strictly the line in the rose and earlier. Uh, so normally, Logan, I would start with our guests, but if you will indulge me, seeing as we are both book readers and we both knew what was coming, I'd like to start with Ricky this week. Ricky. Oh, wow. What, what did you think of this episode and that you know, we're just going to dive right in with that ending? I just need to know something. Is George R.R. R. Martin married? Yeah, he, he, he is, actually. He had a paramour for a while, but they got married recently. So, so he actually had a wedding once in his life. Yeah, Jesus, guys. <laughs> Rob's wedding was lovely. Oh, my Very God. Very intimate. No one died. <laughs> I open up my review by saying it would be an understatement to say that the line and the rose merely lives up to the hype. I think it nearly destroys the meaning of hype. I mean, I remember back in season three when we were podcasting, Kate, you mentioned the second wedding and you kind of had me all pumped and ready for, you know, something big to happen. Yeah, I and thought it was going to be last season. I thought they were going to end the season with this. <laughs> yeah, I remember we talked about this last year. And okay, Alex Graves is an incredible director. This guy is amazing. He's directed some of the best episodes of Game of Thrones. This is the sixth time he's directed an episode. I think he's got four more coming. 
And this is one of my favorite episodes of the series yet. It's on my top five, possibly top three. I just think it's so well directed. I love the way he builds a suspense throughout the whole entire episode, not just the wedding sequence, but the whole entire episode, starting with the cold open, which you can talk about a little later on. But this has passion, raw emotion, true terror, and holy shit, I had no clue Joffrey was going to die. And I went back and I watched it for a second time, and there's so much foreshadowing, it should have been so obvious that they were going to kill him. But when he started choking, I honestly thought someone would save him, and the big, huge payoff would be Tyrion would be charged for poisoning him, and they would kill off Tyrion. I thought Tyrion was going to die, not King Joffrey. So for me, this episode worked miracles. I love the writing. Like, George R.R. R. Martin wrote some of the best episodes. I think this is the third episode he's written. He wrote Blackwater, two of my favorite episodes. Um, I think he does a fantastic job writing the episodes. And, I mean, I know he's the writer of the actual books. But, I mean, I would like to see him write more episodes for Game of Thrones. Um, so as a non-book reader, I think this episode worked like it did wonders and i know everybody hates king joffrey but i'm going to miss his character so much i love jack gleason i think he's a fantastic actor but killing off his grace the lord of seven kingdoms the protector of the realm i mean that's huge because he's the character we love to hate and i think it's not going to be as fun from here on out like watching game of thrones not having joffrey around to hate it's not going to be the same um but yeah i love the way George R.R. R. Martin writes, uh, and I'm assuming the books are written in this fashion too, based on the show I'm watching, but the way he structures his stories and he constantly subverts fantasy tropes and he switches things up so much like no one else. And I think that's why I'm a huge fan of the series. And I actually do want to go and read the books eventually. And I think a good starting point would probably be at the end of season four. I think the end of season four would be a good time for me to go back and read the books, because from my understanding, the two big WTF moments have already happened. And so I'm ready to read the book. But yeah, I love this episode. I got so much, so much to say. George R. R. Martin also wrote uh, The Pointy End from season one, which was nowhere near as eventful of an episode compared to the other ones he's written. But yeah, he has a, an extensive background in, in TV writing, of course, having done uh, Beauty and the Beast and uh, some Twilight Zone as well. Uh, the the re one of the remakes the remake in the eighties so you know yeah yes mm -hmm. he's it's not it, whatever you see his name next to an episode at this point it's going to be an eventful episode Logan what did you think when you for me I read the, the books and the Red Wedding yes obviously but actually the, the the Purple Wedding and the the fallout from it was by far the more exciting of the two. For me and I and the TV show, I'm sure that is going to be a controversial opinion. What did you think of the way that this was executed in in the show, and how would you compare the book execution with the TV show execution, and then the two most recent weddings? Well, uh, I, I never was the biggest Rob Stark fan. The, the show made him because you never got like uh, point of view chapters of him in the book, so you never really got to get into his head like you did with some of the other characters, like Arya and Sansa on the Stark side. And then his mother, Catelyn. So the Red Wedding was really surprising to me. But the only reason I really was kind of sad is because I thought Arya was dead because I kind of misread it that she was dead and not knocked out at the end of that, of that chapter. 
But yeah, I like the Purple Wedding better. I like that they spent so much time on it because in the book, it seemed that chapter went on and on forever. Like there were various entertainments going on in the background. I miss the bears. I was so I know it wouldn't be practical, but in the book, they're they're dancing, juggling bears. Yeah, at least they played this song that in the background for the fans. It was a nice little touch. That song was very important to the series. And plus, you got Brian in there too, so kind of a callback to the previous season. And uh, yeah, I like they spent so much time on it and. All the little visual cues showing the character. I love, I mean, Game of Thrones is a great cast. And I love seeing the actors' reactions to Joffrey and um, even without, like, dialogue. I love I loved Sophie Turner's performance this season. Um, how she showed, like, Sansa's gone from this, like, romantic dreamer to this cold, like, realist. And I think her arc is definitely going to be interesting going on this season. And also, uh, George R. R. Martin writes Jamie Lannister very well as a character. And his POV chapters are probably my favorites in the books, and he kind of transfers that to the movie. You get to see his like pride and his his like vulnerable nature. I love I love when I love that scene where he and Cersei at the end with uh, Joffrey that shows how he actually loved um, loved Joffrey as his son, even though he had to be distant from him. And yeah, it was a great episode. Um, also, got to see uh, Ramsay Snow being a complete psychopath. I forget the actor's name. It's like Evil and Rion. Um, I mean, he could be the new Joffrey, um, the characters people love to hate. Yes, that seems like that's what they're going for with Ramsay. But Ramsay's just nowhere near as interesting to me as as Joffrey, because Joffrey has all of that world around him and uh, and all so many characters that we're so much more invested in around him. Particularly character characters like Jaime and Tyrion, who we actually like, as opposed to all of the Boltons. We yeah. don't. Um, and, and so it definitely will shift the show, not having that antagonist. That being said, there's so much good stuff coming this season. I can't wait can't for stop. Ricky for you to see stop. it. Do not so, get me pumped. No, no, no more hype. De- no more de- hype. I will de hype. I will de hype immediately. By focusing, let's talk about uh, the that scene in in the uh, the wedding. Let's talk about the approach to the way to to, to this you know, climactic finale. Uh, uh-huh. I I really appreciate the way it's structured, which is very different. Other people have discussed this in their reviews, but it's very different than how the books are structured because the books are all first person narrator. Chap, you know, each chapter is a different character, but they're all first person, so you don't get to necessarily have. This scene flitting around from character to character to character, where we watch all these different interactions with you know couples, groups of people. I love the Cersei and Brienne scene. I, I loved just that look between Loras and Oberyn was delightful. Uh, you know, there's so much to to enjoy about you know the the interactions in at the wedding, but even more than that, the way it's structured as sort of like an Agatha Christie style dinner party murder mystery. We're watching, you know, we're reminded of all the different people who are there who have a very legitimate reason to want Joffrey dead. And so my question uh, to you, Ricky, because uh, obviously Logan, and I can't really say too much on this. Uh, how how did that work for you? And do you have any front runners? OK, uh, I have a lot of things to say. I, I do want to get back to Joffrey in a minute. But in terms of the way the actual episode was structured, I really liked it because last week we talked about how. Uh, or at least I talked about how I preferred episodes that focus on fewer characters and or fewer locations. So 
the way this episode was structured, the first half jumped around from one location to the next and followed around a group of characters for maybe five or so minutes. But then the last, say, like 30 minutes or so was focused on the wedding. I think Alex Graves in an, in, in an interview said his pay had, his script for the, just the specific wedding sequence was 32 pages long, right? Um, so I really liked the way they actually approached and structured the wedding, just the whole set design, the production values, you know, the costumes, the cinematography, the again, the set, the wedding. It was huge. It looked like a really expensive wedding for kings and queens, right? Um, so, yeah, so I do like the the structure overall. In terms of the way... It followed around characters in the wedding. That's why I actually went back and rewatched it right away. As soon as it, the credits were finished rolling, I went to my PVR and I started the episode again because I wanted to examine everyone really closely because it is sort of like a whodunit. And a lot of people say it doesn't really matter who, who killed King Joffrey, but I think it sort of does because at the end of the episode, my favorite character is being accused of killing the king, which means he's going to be charged of treason and they are probably going to assassinate him or at least he's going to be charged for the crime and execution will be the punishment. And I'm sorry, I do not want to see Tyrion dead or off the show anytime soon. Um, so for me, it is important to know who killed the king and or at least for him to be um um you know set free so while watching the episode and keep in mind i'm a non-book reader i don't even read wikipedia pages or anything that can possibly spoil any future events or mysteries or surprises um i gotta tell you that front runner it's clear as day in terms of the way this specific episode is directed and written that lady oleana is clearly responsible for poisoning king joffrey because the way Alex Graves directs this episode, we get so many shots of her in the background, like at specific moments, and she's purposely framed in these shots for for a reason. Um, there's one specific interaction between her and Sansa in which she clearly brings up the Red Wedding, and I think she says something on the lines of, who in the world, what kind of madman or creature would kill someone at their own wedding? Like, you know what I mean? There's so many callbacks to the Red Wedding, and she just looks so incredibly guilty, and her reactions to what's going on around her throughout the whole entire event leads me to believe that she is responsible for poisoning King Joffrey. And it also makes sense because, I mean, I think everyone at the wedding has a motive and a reason to kill him. But, I mean, she is marrying her daughter, who she really loves because she wants her to be queen. But she doesn't necessarily want her daughter to be married to that crazy psychopath, right? And so, his granddaughter. Sorry, yeah, right. So, for me, I think that, um, you know... Just based on the way it's written and directed, and I could be completely wrong, but I'm just going based on what I saw, I think she is um, prime suspect. She's suspect number one in my book. And I think that uh, it's Lady, Lady Olena is is the pronunciation. And I th those are excellent points. There are many other characters who are who are very prominently seated as well. I like that they don't just have like one or two characters that the camera flits back to. I like that, you know, if I, I, I'm sure that there could easily be people there. There probably are people online making strong cases for a number of different characters, but Logan and I, we're going to keep mum on that uh, and say an interesting, interesting thoughts, Ricky. We will check back in on that later in the season. Uh, mm -hmm. Like anything else we want to talk about with, in regards to the wedding. Okay, so I, I want to know how it plays out in the book because I got into a huge argument with, with my nephews while watching Game of Thrones last night because 
They just, I mean, it was a whole comparison to the red wedding versus the purple wedding. I did not know it was called the purple wedding. I think had I known it was called the purple wedding before watching the episode, I would have clearly realized that, yes, King Joffrey is going to choke and die, right? But anyways, um, so my argument was this is um, bigger in a way than the red wedding. Like the red wedding was traumatizing and I cried and I couldn't believe what I saw. But the thing about King Joffrey is I like the way they decided to kill him because had he say been tortured, like let's say someone captured him and they tortured him because everyone just hates his character so much. Like the way Theon was tortured, he could be like labeled a martyr or whatnot, you know, who knows? And if he died in battle, he would be remembered as a great warrior and a great King, even if he never lifted a sword, because that's how word would travel. People would just talk about how great he is. But I love the fact that King Joffrey, the character who we all love to hate and do hate, dies in the most ridiculous way like on his wedding night in front of hundreds and hundreds of guests choking like i mean this is the king of the king of like what is it seven kingdoms at this point yeah yeah and he dies on his wedding night choking i mean and and the way he dies like like after after tormenting and humiliating his uncle for what 30 minutes he dies looking directly at Tyrion, believing that he is the one who poisoned him. I mean, that's the best revenge Tyrion could have, even though he didn't actually kill him. At least I don't think he did. So I just love the way they actually decided to kill off King Joffrey. I think that George R. R. Martin has a wicked sense of poetic justice. Like, one of my favorite deaths is in season one, Viserys, like, getting crowned as a king. I just uh, I love how, just how, how it's reversed on it. And, um, yeah, I like how they... At first I first thought they were going to, like, draw the death scene, but it was just the right length. Um, at the end, and uh, I also like that all the characters got little little reactions uh, to the death. And um, also, okay, I also love that moment with Oberyn where he was talking about how like we don't like we treat our women better in Dorne. And I mean, he's not only an antagonist, but I think he's a character that people can like and rally behind in later episodes. And uh, also Cersei. Um, becoming a little more out of control, especially with Joffrey dead. One of her connections to humanity is lost. So hopefully we'll see her get progressively more and more evil as the season goes on. Oh, my gosh. She's out of control in this episode. Like, holy shit. She can't be nice to anybody. Not even on her son's wedding day. Well, and uh, also... I just got to mention, I love the dress, the wedding dress. I, oh, yeah, I forgot. Oops. <laughs> gorgeous. That 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 pie. Joffrey has a Valyrian steel blade that he only uses before <laughs> he dies to cut open a pie. And, of course, because he's such a dick, he can't just, like, tap it to release the, the, the have the thing come out and release the birds. He's got to hack into it and kill a bunch of the doves. Well, he also destroyed his wedding gift, the book given to him by his uncle. What a dick move. Well, and I love the comedy played in that where he says, actually, a wonderful, you know, thank you. It's important to be wise. And Tyrion's like, are you, yeah. are, you, are, you, are you shitting me? And, like, there's just a, a couple reaction shots. Like, I think it's Sansa and, and Tyrion and maybe one other person. Uh, it, it's just such a delightful little beat of comedy before then, of course, Joffrey goes Joffrey. 30 seconds later, when he gets his shiny toy, he, you know, hacks up the book. In the actual book, like when you guys are reading it, because when I'm watching the TV show, like I know something bad's going to happen, but I just don't don't know what it is. Was it kind of the same way in the book or was, like, was it a bigger surprise or not a surprising? 
It was a bigger surprise for me. Uh, Logan, okay. I'm curious your thoughts on it, but for, you know, because Martin likes to, exp- you know, he he enjoys the details of scenes, so he enjoys describing the 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 table with the food and what kind of food it is, and and he enjoys discussing like the details of a scene and really painting a picture, like the type of fabrics that. Cersei's wearing in her gown, things like that. And so when when this feast and wedding chapter is going on and on, talking about all these different things that are happening at the wedding, for me, when I'm reading it, I don't take that as a clue that something, you know, shit's about to go down. I take that as George R. R. Martin is being George R. R. Martin-y and really getting into the detail of it. So I really did not uh, expect that to happen. And then as soon as it does, the other thing that's different is for me, having... in. The way that it, the the story is told, when the, the shit hits the fan at the wedding, you know who did it. You know who's responsible. Um, at least I did right right away. It well, wasn't, you know, and so that, that's that's a sort of a different way of playing with it. It's because when I was watching the episode, right, like, <clears throat> sorry, I was thinking back to the last time he tried to make fun and embarrass his uncle in front of everybody, but his uncle was drunk and his uncle snapped back on him, right? Mm-hmm. And so, but I was like, okay, wait a minute, Tyrion's not drunk. He's going to actually resist and be patient and, you know, not snap at the king, especially on his wedding day, because he doesn't want to get in trouble. So I was expecting, I don't know, something else to happen. Like Sansa would do something stupid and slip up and then she would get in trouble. And then towards the end, like I said, I thought he would not actually die, but he would still get accused for, uh, you know, poisoning the king. I'm assuming it's poison. Like I'm assuming he was poisoned. Oh, yeah, definitely. Yeah. Yeah, what was your experience reading it? Um, my experience, I was just like getting lulled to sleep by all the description because there's like a hundred courses. They didn't probably have the budget to show all the food and stuff in the show. And plus it'll be a little over the top. So I'm just like, oh, there's food. And this is Joffrey's big triumph. And especially it was like just after the Red Wedding. So I'm like, he's not going to kill someone off later because you get the like the foreshadowing earlier with Melisander, you know, putting all the kings in. And she's already taken out two kings and – I'm like, you know, Joffrey's going to die in this book sometime, but I didn't think it was going to be his own wedding. I thought, you know, maybe uh, there's going to be some battle or maybe actually I thought like uh, Oberyn was going to do something. You're talking about the leeches back in like season three when she put the leeches in like the fire. Yeah. yeah. She named off the kinks, right? Yeah. We were talking about that last year, which is why I knew he would die. I just did not think he would die so early. I mean, it's the second episode of the season. You know what I mean? That's why even you as a book reader – assume that they would save it for the last episode of season three but no it's the second episode of season four so what the hell are we gonna get i mean if king joffrey dies in a second episode of season four like holy shit the season's gonna be incredible <laughs> well and it's one of those it's it's a very different experience reading it as opposed to the way it's structured in these two seasons because uh, while the same amount of time has passed for the characters in the book and in the tv show for the viewers you've had a year off between watching the Red Wedding and this, when you're reading the book, you've had a, a few chapters when all of a sudden, yet again, there's, you know, just this hor- horrible wedding or chaos and death and destruction at, at a wedding. And so it's, you know, it, it is definitely when, when people go back and they watch the show and they are marathoning it through and catching up with that, that kind of thing, they'll get this similar experience to 
to what Logan and I experienced reading the books. But yeah, I think have, placing this at episode two of the season was such a great, you know, the timing of it is, is really great because the first episode, you have to get everything back going, get get things going. You want to make sure that they actually remember who everybody is, the viewers do, and uh, they know you have a ge- the geography of the world. And then episode two, you know, we've been trained to expect slow build, slow build, slow build picking things up episode nine is crazy and then episode 10 kind of recovers we have not been trained as viewers of game of thrones to expect massive developments in episode two in television in general yeah it's true yeah yeah but but okay you know as much as we can talk about the wedding for the rest There's of the a night bunch of other stuff to yeah. talk about i want to talk about jamie jamie oh yes yeah. yes I love that sword fighting scene. I love that that's a shift in, in characters from the book. I love that they bring in Bronn to be his trainer. And I, I saw this mentioned in another review, but that location that they found or that they built, whatever, for where they were fencing uh, was, was fantastic. It was gorgeous. They shot in Croatia, and I agree. And I actually do like the fact that he gets to uh, train with Bronn because Bronn really doesn't show him any mercy in his training with him. Like he really just treats him like he has two full hands, you know? Mm -hmm. Uh, But I especially like the sequence with Tyrion and Jamie before he even picks up the sword, because Tyrion's the one that basically motivates Jamie to learn how to fight with his left hand. But their scene, if I correct me if I'm wrong, that's the first scene with them together in like what, two years, maybe I mean, it's been a while since we've seen Tyrion. And yeah, Jamie like the actually. pilot. I mean, they're great in the pilot. You know, the opening scene in the brothel, you really, you know, it's really entertaining. I mean, you, you hate Jamie at this point because he's this, like, incestuous child killer. But, mm-hmm. I mean, that was that was a great scene. And, I mean, they're both, their battle of wits is always fun to watch. And, and, and it brings the best line of the episode, the dwarf, the cripple, and the mother of madness. Love it. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty yeah, that's a Liz Atlantis right there. I mean, Not so fun is a heartbreaking goodbye between Tyrion and Shay. Because man, I really like Shay and I'm not sure if she's actually safely on board the ship and on her way to a better life. I'm kind of fearful that she never actually got on the ship and who knows what's gonna happen to her. Um so I'm dreading knowing that she can possibly be in danger. I hope she's not. But uh I, the scene between those two characters was heartbreaking. Like Oh man! I mean, that's that's an actual love story I'm interested to see on the series. Those two characters, like, I really do like their relationship. Well, it's certainly been something I've enjoyed watching play out, and like I like I keep saying, it is very different than the relationship in the books or the, the Shay character is is in my opinion significantly shifted. So yeah, it'll be interesting to see how they deal with. Her, the the character being very different from the books and seeing how that affects the rest of uh, rest of the season and Tyrion, if nothing else. Um, let's see. I, as regards to the Jamie and Tyrion scene, I, you guys are absolutely right. The last time we saw the two of them together, we didn't like Jamie yet. So I think it's really good to establish that bond again and to see, you know, that there are Lannisters that we do like. And it's so rare for us to get a scene with, you know, the only two of them that we do. Logan, uh, what was your Jamie highlight this week? My Jamie highlight this week, other than the the big ending, uh, probably, I don't know, just his interactions with Bronn, like their, their battle wits as they're fighting with their sword. And I mean, I think I remember the last time he fought with a sword. I'm, I'm thinking, you know, season one, he's you know fighting Ned's, taking down Ned Stark, and now he's just barely 
able to keep his own. And I think, I think when characters get like something taken away from them, we kind of start to pity them a little bit. And I really like that the writers, especially George R. R. Martin are playing on that emotions, especially that Jamie has this big fan base now after uh, season three. It's weird because I don't even think I pity him. I just think I like him. I mean, I've grown to like Jamie, despite the fact that in the very first episode of the TV show, he pushes uh brand, you know, out of a window, like a little boy, but yet, over the years, I've grown to like this man, especially because of his buddy-buddy relationship with uh, with uh, Brienne back in season three. And um, I don't know. I think he's really changed. His whole character has changed, not just his look, not just the fact that he cut his hair, but he just seems to have more respect for everyone. He seems wiser. He seems more polite. He's just a completely different person. It's not the same Jamie we saw in the pilot. So I love his character right now. Which, uh, which we move to next? Do we want to talk about Bran and uh, his dream? Um, sure. Why not? I mean, I seem to be the only person that likes this character. Um, I like Bran. Really? Because every time I go online, people are just complaining and bitching about his storyline and they find him boring. I love every single scene with Bran. And I like the fact that he gains valuable insight into what is coming. Like he knows what's ahead. And I think in watching his scenes, the very few scenes we do get revolving around this character we are treated with some possible possible Easter eggs or like hints and clues as to what is ahead. Like, I mean, in his actual dream slash vision, he sees the dragons flying over King's Landing, for example. And I love the montage, the way it's be- beautifully edited and with an assortment of like jump cuts and flashbacks. And, and um, yeah, that's what I like about, I like, I, I, it's not that I need supernatural elements in every single episode, but I said this last week on the podcast is we've spent so much time at King's Landing surrounded by guys like, Jamie and King Joffrey and Tyrion and Tywin and whatnot, that it's nice to move away from King's Landing. And it's nice to get some of these supernatural elements. And I'm a, I'm a huge fan of Jojen as well. And I, I like the fact that Jojen really has Bran, uh, Bran's best interest at his heart because like he actually warns him not to want to live like Summer for too long because then he'll forget what it's like to be human. So I like everything to do with Bran. And I love the way the sequence was photographed and, you know, just the direction, the art direction behind it. It was beautiful. Now, what was that over the Iron Throne? It, it looked like it was the seven, because it, it, it looked, I wanted to say it was like a symbol for the fire god, except that I think it was the seven-pointed star, right? This is the book thing. Yeah, I think it was the seven-pointed star. Yeah, I, that, that scene was so quick, and I like that how quickly it was edited. So, I mean, you can go back and, like, watch it. but The old freeze frame. You're talking yeah. about the very final frame of his vision? No, I'm talking about the Great Hall, where we see an, the empty throne room, and we see the Iron Throne, and there's a banner, or like there's a symbol over it that is not currently there. Right, but that's in his like little Yes, in vision. his vision, yes. Right, and uh, I think that was just possibly foreshadowing what's going to happen to King Joffrey. I don't know. That's what, that's what I thought going back and watching it. But so, so it's not in the book. Well, they have different sorts of, you know, they, they, they handle prophecy very differently in the book because you can be a lot more vague when you're not, you know, freeze framing and having, having to fill an entire frame with an image. Then mm-hmm. we talked about this in uh, season two with the House of the Undying in the book. That's way cooler, way more prophecies, way more. So much foreshadowing. Stuff. I mean, so much foreshadowing. Yeah. But if you, if you did it on, in the, uh, in the TV show, because there it involves characters that, as the reader, we might, 
you know, Danny doesn't know who these people are, so she's not identifying them. But mm-hmm. as as the if we're actually seeing their faces, we might identify who the character. It would tell it would give us too much information and make things too obvious, and it wouldn't work. So they they handle prophecy very differently in the book and the and, and the and the TV show. So so this is this was new to me. Hmm. Okay. So so anyhow, so did you like the scene? Yeah, I did. Logan, what about you? I, I Brand's story. I mean. He's he's an interesting character. He's he's very likable, and I mean he, he also you know anchors a show in the supernatural, and also you know everyone likes the Starks. He's another Stark, so um, kind of that last remnant of the Starks. But uh, yeah, I mean I like his story sometimes when he's just like talking and walking, and I'm like okay, he's just, he's an interesting character, but this doesn't really add an overall plot of the show. But I liked it that we got this little vision, this little you know taste of. The North, especially since Jon Snow wasn't in this episode, so we kind of had our northern scene, mm-hmm. and then along with you know Ramsay Snow's scene and Dion, and we got our southern scene, so we had you know both parts of Westeros. Well, last week when we had Ryan McGee on the show, he was talking about how we needed some kind of like sense of hope, and he he didn't want to invest in like a TV show that was just full of dread, and like he called it misery porn. And I mean, he wasn't calling Game of Thrones misery porn, but he was just saying he he didn't want to see that kind of show. And the thing is, the reason why I like characters like Jon Snow and Bran is because they do offer a sense of hope. And the thing is, we started watching the show liking and investing in the Stark family. The show, especially season one, revolved around the Stark family. So by taking away all of the Starks, you know, why am I still watching the show? Like, it's nice to know that we still have Bran and Jon Snow and Arya alive. And I think they are essential to me wanting to tune in each and every single week. And I don't know. That's why I like Bran. Like I said, like, I think his journey is really interesting and somewhat poetic. And I think he offers a sense of hope. And I think he deep down inside knows what's ahead and he knows it's not all good and there's a lot of bad, but I think he sees, I don't know, he sees uh, a light at the end of the tunnel. Like I, I think it offers hope for the Starks and uh, at the end of this crazy like journey, like I'm not even sure if he's finished writing the books, but um, I don't know. I just, I really liked everything to do with Brandon Jojen. I think the problem is we don't get enough, of these characters in the TV show. So it's, I, I understand why it's hard for viewers to kind of connect with these people. I think that it, it's good to have a few characters that are the big picture characters and then the pictures who are hyper, the characters who are hyper focused. So uh, it's easy to engage or not get um, frustrated with a character like Danny who has a bigger goal in mind she's and especially with Jon Snow who you know everything that's going on in the north that's the shit that actually that's the stuff that actually matters Uh, not all the squabbling between the different royal houses on the larger scale doesn't really matter if a bunch of frost giants come down from and, and zombies come and eat your face you know as soon as winter comes so it's good to have a a a handful of characters that are not caught up in power grabs so yes danny is trying to reclaim her birthright all of that stuff but right now she's way more focused on freeing slaves and uh and 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 moving her and taking care of her people and growing you know taking care of her dragons that is her goal her goal is not petty squabbling Jon snow it's defending a, a, with the wildlings and then also the white walkers and and then a character like Arya is she she's just you know she's just trying to survive and not cross some names off of her list. So I, I think having those other people, you know, these other storylines going on is really important in in making the show not just become 
a bunch of horrible people doing horrible things to each other. Right. It's not like Dynasty or Dallas with dragons. It's more. And I, I mean, I, I assume there's going to be a huge payoff come season five or six. You know, we will eventually see Danny arrive at her destination. We will eventually see those dragons attack King's Landing. We will see the giants and um, we will eventually see Mance Raider and his army charge up to the north and you know we'll, we'll get to see all the, all of these things that we've wanted to see but i think it's important to sort of like check in once in a while with these characters but i also think it's extremely important to check in with john aria and bran because like i said they are the starks they are the three starks that are still alive and we need characters to root for and um you know if you look at king's landing <laughs> there's not too many good people that we can uh, look up to in that in that land, that crazy, crazy land where they uh, they do crazy, horrible things at weddings. Oh God! Um, <laughs> the, the, I, the character we check in this week the, at, with at King's Landing, who I do think does fit fall into that category, is uh, actually Varys. I was very glad to see him pop up here, just because he gets almost no time because, frankly, there, there isn't time to give him this week. But I, again, he's another one. He's his main focus is order over chaos so the fact that we check in with him but they don't make the time for us to check in with for example with Littlefinger is uh is telling and I, I'm always glad to get more Varys were there any other characters that you were particularly glad to see this week uh, Logan um I'm a huge Oberyn Martell fan I I really like that Pedro Pascal has done a great job uh, acting as him this season, especially the first episode. I mean, like, that's Oprah Martel in the book, you know, with the, the three-way and all the people. And he's just, like, kind of, you know, a little bit outlandish, the people of King's Landing. But he, you know, has – he's very moral and he has this, you know, he wants revenge. And I like that we, we got to see, like, see his moral compass and kind of see him as a foil to all the – the other characters in King's Landing who, you know, maybe their practices might seem more acceptable to people than people in Dorne, but, you know, they're actually worse people than him. And also another character, Ramsey Snow. I, I mean, I've been talking about him all the episode, all this episode, but uh, I really like that we get to see how cruel and how, you know, just messed up he is. And also, I mean, the scene with him and uh, uh, Theon shaving him was great because, I mean, if he was a little more calculated, he wouldn't let him do that. But he he's so just secure in his power over Theon that he just, you know, lays back and is very relaxed and just lets him, you know, ha have the opportunity to cut his throat. And I love how that scene was kind of relaxed, but there was tension in it as well. Well, do you is, is, is that Theon for you or is that Reek? Because for me right now, he's not Theon. Yeah. Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, he's definitely Reek. I mean, especially in the finale. I just uh, always think Theon for some reason. And well, you know, Slip of the tongue. I think that was probably the best scene in terms of the way it was directed, in terms of building suspense of the entire episode. And that's what I wrote in my review. I, I was talking about how, you know, as great as a wedding is and as great as the ending of this episode is, it doesn't still overshadow all the great things that came before because the whole entire episode is great, in my opinion. And, I mean, we get two great sequences with Ramsey, including a cold open where he has his own, like, version of the Hunger Games. And he's chasing some poor girl and people are sport. That was kind of creepy and trippy. And it just goes to show how cruel and evil this character is but then you're right the shaving sequence is fantastic i mean the way the camera just holds still and you know he's got the blade on his neck and he can clearly slice his neck and take his revenge but he doesn't because he's so beaten emotionally and physically in every single way possible spiritually and that's the difference between a character like king joffrey and ramses that 
Ramsey understands the power of cruelty and suffering and how to completely, completely take control of his victims, mind, body, and soul. And that's what makes him so incredibly dangerous. And I actually really do like the scenes with him this season. I didn't like his character last season, um, but so far this season, he uh, he's actually someone I'm interested to see next week and the week after and the week after that. And I think his his scenes remain probably the show's most darkest moments you know what i mean like i mean you think back to when he was torturing theon which i know we complained about forever and ever last year on the podcast but this is a better ramsey like we don't see him you know chopping off his balls and whatnot like like the torture we see in, him inflicting on theon Greyjoy to me is that gets a bigger reaction for me and a reaction that i think they are going for the director and the writer like i think that's the reaction they want like i was just traumatized watching that sequence whereas in season three i was just kind of like annoyed that i had to watch like sort of like what people would call like torture porn um so yeah i said i really do like that sequence i love the way it was directed and i love the way they built up the suspense the other character i do want to mention is I love Shireen. She's just delightful. Oh, yeah, I, I, I forgot. It's so great to, you know, Melisandre's going on about, <laughs> we burned your family alive, but that's okay. And she's like, I'm pretty sure you're full of shit. Uh, that, was, that was delightful. Um, we, we have Celise, uh, right? Celise, I think it's pronounced, yeah. Seems to have drunk the Kool-Aid. I like that Stannis is still, you can tell he's doing this for... You know, he he's wary. He knows that this isn't doesn't fit with his mor morality because he's such a mor moral person, uh, a unflinchingly you know uh, un unwaveringly to a negative degree moral person with when he decides on his code. Um, and so you know, I, I like the the different sorts of uh, responses there across the board. But I think my favorite uh, scene in, in, of those was the one with with uh shireen and and melisandre what about what about you guys any thoughts on, on those you know why i didn't write about the scene with stannis and melisandre and what's her name shireen shireen right well shireen is the daughter Celise is the wife yeah so i didn't i i didn't mention those characters in my review because i just don't know enough about these characters yet i mean i we've seen a lot of stannis and melisandre in like season three but you know we talked about this last year where it would be nice to sort of understand the supernatural angles of the show, like the mythology of the world. And I still am not quite sure what's what. Like, I'm not quite sure what what kind of power she has. You know, if her power actually means anything, like, is she actually responsible for, you know, King Joffrey dying? Like, does she put a curse on him? Like, I'm not entirely sure about any of this. And, like, it was nice to check in on these characters, but... I'm still confused about this specific part of the world. Like even with the people he's burning at the stake, like isn't he related to, to yes. those characters? Yeah, he is. Right. So by I was marriage. Like, exactly. So I'm like, okay, so how's he by marriage? So it's his wife's brother. That was so confusing. This is why I'm confused about this specific aspect. Cause I'm a non book reader. And from what the show has given us so far, I'm just confused about who these characters are still after like four years. I like the mystery in the in the supernatural <laughs> parts because it's like part, when you're watching Game of Thrones, it's like, oh, this is just the Middle Ages. But then there's always like supernatural. Like, well, there's also dragons and zombies mm -hmm. and they're legit and they're not stories. And I kind of like how uh, Melisandre's magic is kind of like the middle between the dragons and White Walkers and then just like more of the medieval realism. 
And, you know, she, like, Stannis is a wild card this season. Like, I mean, if you haven't read the book, she, you have no idea, like, how he's going to, you know, get back to being relevant. And, this, I mean, he's definitely in a bad place. And I like how, like, the contrast between his, like, table setting and, you know, King's Landing, they're running out of food. And, I mean, they're... They're almost going to be. They're going to be as bad as Arya pretty soon, running out of food and killing vassals off. That—that's the problem. You see, that's why I'm uncertain as to how powerful she really is. Like, is she just full of shit? Like, because I do like it when we check in with the supernatural elements of the show. Like, I just—I say that each and every single week. I just wish I understood exactly how powerful she is. Like, I don't know. The whole plot line with with her and Stannis is. It's not necessarily confusing. I just want more information. So whenever we check back in with these characters, it's been quite a while since we've seen them. Like, uh, you know, we're going back at least six or seven episodes, possibly. Um, like, I actually kind of forgot they existed. <laughs> hmm. There was something else I wanted to mention about. Uh, yeah, Lord Bolton. It's nice to actually see him and Ramsay in, in the same scene because it reminds us that they are somewhat related. Like, it is his bastard son, you know, because we kept hearing it back in season three, but we never actually saw those two characters in the same room. It must be really fun to direct an episode of Game of Thrones uh, like this specific episode in which you actually get characters and actors who have never been in the same room meeting for the first time. You know, like, imagine, like, how fun that would be for not only the cast, but the director, Alex Graves. Yeah, definitely. He's going to be directing a couple more of the episodes this season as well. So yeah. if this if this episode is any indication, uh, we have some some quality ahead for us next week, and then again in the finale. Well, do we have any final thoughts on this episode? Any any you know predictions? Any Ricky from you? Any any thoughts on uh, wh where we're going to be next week? We see uh, Sansa head off with Dantos. Do we think we're going to see her next week or is it going to be a few weeks before we find out what happens? Okay, one final remark. I loved Sansa in this episode. Now, uh, longtime listeners know I have a beef with Sansa. And last week I complained about how I didn't want to see Sansa mope around and not eat breakfast. And my argument, Kate, was that we had already seen her react to finding out that Rob and her mom were executed, right? We saw it at the end of season three. So my my whole argument was I just thought she was taking up valuable screen time because there's so many characters in the show. It's it's not necessarily that I hate the character. I just thought that one scene with her by the beach or by the river would have been enough. So in this episode, man, I love Sansa. I love the the, the react the, the reactions we get from her, the way the camera focused on her while Tyrion was being tortured and embarrassed by uh, King Joffrey. And I love how she gets up to pick up the cup for Joffrey. Like, yes. Well, for, for Tyrion. Uh, for Tyrion, sorry. Yes, Sansa, fight back in your own little way. <laughs> so uh, is she, is she going to find a way out of King's Landing? Um, possibly. I mean, I hope so. How long can we go on watching Sansa, like, be stuck and tortured in King's Landing? Even now that, that uh, King Joffrey has disappeared. But if she escapes, they are probably going to assume that she killed King Joffrey and poisoned him, so therefore Tyrion will be let go, possibly. And uh, it would be stupid for Tyrion to even poison his uncle. And how could he? I mean, he was holding the freaking cup. I mean, yeah. But he's, I, more, I, he's more clever than that, but Cersei apparently isn't clever enough to well, man, realize that he's more clever than that's that. That's because she should put down the bottle of wine. She's been drunk for like a year now on the show. Yeah, yeah. Um, so yeah, I mean, I can't really look ahead. I have no idea what's coming. Uh, I just want to see more of Jon Snow, Jon Snow, and Jon Snow. Fair enough. Uh, Logan, any final thoughts? 
Uh, definitely agree about Sansa Stark. Um, I like seeing that a lot of char- like female characters in this show, like Daenerys or Arya, have like big you know action moments, and I like that characters like her and Margie Terrell can have you know be uh, strong characters, but in more subtle ways. And I think that Sansa definitely has probably come the farthest in season one, and it's not as obvious as other characters, but can't wait to see her journey and how they adapt the book with her. So yeah, she's like kind of my new the breakout character for me in the first two episodes. And when you say Sansa, I also agree. I love the way that Marjorie does her best to temper and control the situation with Joffrey over the course of the wedding. Uh, with you know, like, oh look, it's the pie! Don't kill each other. <laughs> and and you know th- that she is fully aware of Joffrey and still wants to be queen and uh, is doing her best to. To, to mitigate the situation in the ways that she can. Yeah, so I think you know it's hard not to love Marjorie in this episode as well. Um, and the other th- note that I'll have is I liked hearing both the Reigns of Castamere, but apparently by that's an Icelandic band, Sigur Rós. I probably pronounced that wrong. Um, <laughs> performing uh, at the at the wedding, but also there's in the scoring there's a instrumental uh, version of the Bear and the Maiden Fair. I, I would be all for hearing another song from the realms you know i i think it's time that they add a new westerosi song to the canon uh, so i'm hoping that we see that in the in the coming episodes and uh yeah i look forward to to what comes next i there you know there's a series of events that book readers will know have to happen at some point this season but i have no idea how they're going to pace them so there's mm. you know book readers will know what the can guess what the big climactic end of season thing is going to be uh, you know, just like last season where everybody's like, yeah, okay, Red Wedding makes sense. But, uh, but as for how they're going to pace the rest and, you know, are they going to, how much book four and five stuff for Danny, are they going to weave in, you know, all of that stuff. I look forward to seeing how it all comes together because we're getting to a point where they can be more fluid with what happens when. And uh, that, that will be interesting to see. You know, what's really interesting about this episode, and I could be wrong, but I think it has the single longest scene in the history of Game of Thrones, a TV show yet, right? But I also think it's the shortest episode because if I'm not mistaken, this episode ended nine minutes before 10. And usually the episodes go right to about a minute before 10 and there's a minute of credits. And I could, I swear, unless my clock was wrong, it ended nine minutes prior and we had all these promos before Silicon Valley started. It's 53 minutes long. It's credited as being 53 minutes, but that might be with credits at the end. I'm not sure. There you go. So where's, where's the seven minutes? I don't know. I, I don't. I didn't need more. I didn't need an extra seven minutes. I don't because I don't know where I would have put it. Where it wouldn't have felt like it was delaying. I, I think having the the even split of the wedding being about half the episode, and uh, the you know, everything else being about half worked well. So where where would you have put that seven minutes? Would you have put it in the wedding, or would you have put it before? I'm perfectly happy with the episode. I'm just saying that normally. Game of Thrones ends and I have about like a minute to get to the kitchen to grab myself like, I don't know, a glass of wine or a coffee before the next show starts. And the next show is Silicon Valley. And there was like promo, 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 commercial, promo, promo, promo. It was like there was like 20 promos. Like there was at least 10 minutes before Silicon Valley started. So I just like was a little shocked. But uh, that's about it. I do want to mention the score. I thought the music throughout the whole entire episode was fantastic. I always love the music on Game oh, of Thrones. Oh yeah, yeah. There's one theme because uh, I think it's a scene from the theme in uh, beginning of season two. Joffrey's theme they kind of had it, but it was a little weaker and lighter. The 
from season two, like I'm the king. I forget it was, and they had that in there. So I'm like, yeah, his reign's coming to an end because he used to be all triumphant, extra horns and stuff, and now it's. Oh. But for now, unless we have any final thoughts, it's time to bring this week's episode to a close. Uh, Logan, thank you so much for coming on the podcast with us. Where can our listeners find you and your work online? Uh, you can find my work at soundonsite.org, and you can find me at Twitter at sexyginger_nerd. And uh, yeah, for now. And also, and also, I will be starting editing this website, capelesscrusader.org, in May. So you'll see my work there as well as on Soundonsite. Excellent. And uh, Ricky, where can people reach you online? Uh, you can find me on Twitter at Sound Inside, of course, over at soundinside.org. And you can always listen to our movie podcast. We have a sorted cinema podcast in which we cover genre films, horror films, cult films. And uh, we we try to record sorted cinema twice a month. Usually, uh, we usually do at least two shows, but sometimes we even do three or four. It's a lot of fun. And you can find me at the Televerse on uh, on Twitter. You can also listen to me podcast about Hannibal uh, with my co-host Sean Coletti uh, every weekend. Those usually go up on Saturday. Uh, those usually go up on Sundays. And then, of course, on Tuesdays, you can listen to me talk about the rest of TV on the Televerse, uh, as well as, of course, finding my reviews up at soundonsite.org. So I would love to hear from you guys. If you want to drop us a review, rating a review in iTunes, that would also be greatly appreciated. But uh, for now, that brings the podcast to an end. Next week. We'll be back to talk about episode three, Breaker of Chains, uh, written by David Benioff and D.B. Weiss, directed by Alex Graves yet again. Uh, and so until then, thank you for listening. We'll be back next week. A bear, there was a bear, a bear. All black and brown and covered in hair. Oh, come, they said, come to the fair. The fair said, he, but I'm a bear. All black and brown and covered in hair. And down the road from here to there, three boys are going to the dancing bear. They dance and spun all the way to the fair. Oh, sweet, she wasn't pure and fair. The maid with honey in her hair. The maid with honey in her hair. Scent on the summer air, he sniffed and roared and smelled it there. Honey on the summer air. Oh, I'm a maid, I'm pure and fair. I'll never dance with a hairy bear. I'll never dance with a hairy bear. The bear, the bear, lifted her high into the air. The bear, the bear, the bear. I called for a night, but you're a bear, a bear, a bear. All black and brown and covered in hair. And well, the maid so fair, but he licked the honey from her hair. He licked the honey from her hair. Then she sighed and squealed and kicked the air. She sang, My bear so fair. And off they went, the bear, the bear, and the maid, and fair.